Chapter Twenty Seven of the House by the Churchyard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The House by the Churchyard by Joseph Sheraton Lafanu. Chapter Twenty Seven. Concerning the troubles and the shapes that began to gather about Doctor Stirk it was just about that time that our friend dr stirk had two or three odd dreams that secretly acted disagreeably upon his spirits his liver he thought was a little wrong and there was certainly a little light gout sporting about him his favorite pupton at mess disagreed with him so did his claret and hot suppers as often as he tried them and that was more or less nearly every night in the week so he was perhaps right in ascribing these his visions to the humours the spleen the liver and the juices still they sat uncomfortably upon his memory and helped his spirits down and made him silent and testy and more than unusually formidable to poor little quiet hard-worked mrs turk dreams what talk can be idler and yet haven't we seen grave people and gay listening very contentedly at times to that wild and awful sort of frivolity and i think there is in most men's minds sages or zanies a secret misgiving that dreams may have an office and a meaning and are perhaps more than a fortuitous concourse of symbols in fact the language which good or evil spirits whisper over the sleeping brain there was an ugly and ominous consistency in these dreams which might have made a less dyspeptic man a little nervous tom dunstan a sergeant whom stirk had prosecuted and degraded before a court-martial who owed the doctor no good will and was dead and buried in the churchyard close by six years ago and whom stirk had never thought about in the interval made a kind of resurrection now and was with him every night figuring in these dreary visions and somehow in league with a sort of conspirator-in-chief who never showed distinctly but talked in scoffing menaces from outside the door or clutched him by the throat from behind his chair and yelled some hideous secret into his ear which his scared and scattered wits when he started into consciousness could never collect again and this fellow with whose sneering cavernous talk with whose very knock at the door or thump at the partition wall he was as familiar as with his own wife's voice and the touch of whose cold convulsive hand he had felt so often on his cheek or throat and the very suspicion of whose approach made him faint with horror his dreams would not present to his sight there was always something interposed or he stole behind him or just as he was entering and the door swinging open stirk would awake and he never saw him at least in a human shape but one night he thought he saw as it were his sign or symbol as stirk lay his length under the bedclothes with his back turned upon his slumbering helpmate he was in the spirit sitting perpendicularly in his great balloon-backed chair at his writing-table 
in the window of the back one pair of stairs chamber which he called his library where he sometimes wrote prescriptions and pondering over his pennyweights his roman numerals his goutte and his pillulae his threes his fives his nines and the other arabesque and astrological symbols of his mystery he looked over his pen into the churchyard which inspiring prospect he thence commanded thus as out of the body sat our recumbent doctor in the room underneath the bed in which his snoring idolin lay tom dunstan stood beside the table with the short white threads sticking out of his blue sleeve where the stitching of the stripes had been cut through on that twilight parade morning when the doctor triumphed and tom's rank fortune and castles in the air all tumbled together in the dust of the barrack pavement and so with his thin features and evil eye turned sideways to stirk says he with a stiff salute a gentleman sir that means to dine with you and there was the muffled knock at the door which he knew so well and a rustling behind him so the doctor turned him about quickly with a sort of chill between his shoulders and perched on the back of his chair sat a portentous old quizzical carrion crow the antediluvian progenitor of the whole race of carrion crows monstrous with great shining eyes and head white as snow and a queer human look and the crooked beak of an owl that opened with a loud grating caw close in his ears and with a boo oh, oh and a bounce that shook the bed and made poor mrs stirk jump out of it and spin round in the curtain stirk's spirit popped back again into his body which sat up wide awake that moment it is not pretended that at this particular time the doctor was a specially good sleeper the contrary stands admitted and i don't ask you sagacious reader to lay any sort of stress upon his dreams only as there came a time when people talked of them a good deal over the fireside in chapel is it and made winter's tales about them i thought myself obliged to tell you that such things were he did not choose to narrate them to his brother officers and to be quizzed about them at mess but he opened his budget to old dr walsingham of course only as a matter to be smiled at by a pair of philosophers like them but dr walsingham who was an absent man and floated upon the ocean of his learning serenely and lazily drawn finely and whimsically now hither now thither by the finest hair of association glided complacently off into the dim region of visionary prognostics and warnings and reminded him how joseph dreamed and pharaoh and benvenuto cellini's father and saint dominic's mother and edward the second of england and dodged back and forward among patriarchs and pagans and modern christians men and women not at all suspecting that he was making poor stirk who had looked for a cheerful sceptical sort of essay 
confoundedly dismal and uncomfortable and indeed confoundedly distressed he must have been for he took his brother chip tom tool whom he loved not to counsel upon his case of course strictly as a question of dandelion or gentian or chamomile flowers and tom who as we all know loved him reciprocally frightened him as well as he could offered to take charge of his case and said looking hard at him out of the corner of his cunning resolute little eye as they sauntered in the park but i need not tell you my good sir that physic is of small avail if there is any sort of ah uh, ah uh, vexation or or in short ah uh, ah uh, vexation you know on your mind ah uh, ha 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 what murdered my father and married my grandmother snarled stirk sneeringly amused or affecting to be so and striving to laugh at the daisies before his toes as he trudged along with his hands in his breeches pockets i have not a secret on earth sir tis not a button to me sir who talks about me and i don't owe a guinea sir that is that i could not pay to-morrow if i liked it and there's nothing to trouble me nothing sir except this dirty little gouty dyspepsy scarce worth talking about then came a considerable silence and tool's active little mind having just made a note of this tripped off smartly to half a dozen totally different topics and he was mentally tippling his honest chair of a dozen of claret with a pleasant little masonic party at the salmon leap on sunday next and was just going to charm them with his best song and a new verse of his own compounding when stirk in a moment dispersed the masons and brought him back by the ear had a jump from the salmon leap with a savage and i'd like to know sir who the deuce or rather what the plague we'll say could put into your head sir to suppose any such matter but this was only one of stirk's explosions and he and little tool parted no better and no worse friends than usual in ten minutes more at the latter's doorstep so tool said to mrs t that evening stirk owes money mark my words sweetheart remember i say it he'll cool his heels in a prison if he's no wiser than of late before a twelvemonth since the beginning of february he has lost just a minute and let me see i that hundred and fifty pounds by the levanting of old tom farthingale and i had it to-day from little o'leary who had it from jim kelly old craddock's conducting clerk he's bit to the tune of three hundred more by the failure of larkin brothers and houlihan you see a little bit of usury under the rose is all very well for a vulgar dog like stirk if he knows the town and how to go about it but hang it he knows nothing why the turnpike man over the way 
would not have taken old joe's farthingale's bill for fippence no nor his bond neither and he's stupid beside but he can't help that the hound and he'll owe a whole year's rent only six weeks hence and he has not a shilling to bless himself with unfortunate devil i've no reason to like him but truly i do pity him saying which tom tool with his back to the fire and a look of concern thrown into his comic little mug and his eyebrows raised experienced a very pleasurable glow of commiseration stirk on the contrary was more than commonly silent and savage that evening and sat in his drawing-room with his fist in his breeches pockets and his heels stretched out lurid and threatening in a gloomy and highly electric state mrs s did not venture her usual would my barney like a dish of tea but plied her worsted and knitting needles with mild concentration sometimes peeping under her lashes at stirk and sometimes telegraphing faintly to the children if they whispered too loud all cautious pantomime nutu signisque loquuntur stirk was incensed by the suspicion that tom tool knew something of his losses the dirty little unscrupulous spy and tattler he was confident however that he could not know their extent it was certainly a hard thing and enough to exasperate a better man than stirk that the savings of a shrewd and in many ways a self-denying life should have been swept away and something along with them by a few unlucky casts in little more than twelve months and he such a clever dog too the best player all to nothing driven to the wall by a cursed obstinate run of infernal luck and he used to scowl and grind his teeth and nearly break the keys and shillings in his grip in his breeches pocket as imprecations hot and unspoken coursed one another through his brain then up he would get and walk sulkily to the brandy flask and have a dram and feel better and begin to court up his chances and what he might yet save out of the fire and resolved to press vigorously for the agency which he thought dangerfield if he wanted a useful man could not fail to give him and he had hinted the matter to lord castle mallard who he thought understood and favoured his wishes yes that agency would give him credit and opportunity and be the foundation of his new fortunes and the saving of him a precious pleasant companion you may suppose he was to poor little mrs stirk who knew nothing of his affairs and could not tell what to make of her barney's eccentricities and so it was somehow when dangerfield spoke his greeting at stirk's ear and the doctor turned short round and saw his white frizzed hair great glass eyes and crooked short beak quizzical and sinister close by it seemed for a second as if the caw and the carrion crow of his dream was at his shoulder and i suppose he showed his discomfiture a little for he smiled a good deal more than stirk usually did at a recognition 
End of chapter 27 Recording by John Brandon